Good morning. It's Thursday. Nicole roars ashore in Florida as a Category 1 hurricane overnight. And it's going to impact tens of millions up and down the entire East Coast. It is November 10th. This is Today. State of emergency. A rare November hurricane batters parts of Florida, bringing high winds, heavy rain, and flooding to areas still recovering from the last major storm. Ian came in and did all this damage. And now Nicole is just putting us away. We're live and we're tracking what's next as that storm moves north. Midterm fallout, the votes still being counted, control of Congress still up in the air. We've got the very latest on where things stand as the blame game intensifies with former President Trump feeling the heat from fellow Republicans. This is a time that Donald Trump is no doubt in the rearview mirror. Just ahead inside the battle for the future of the GOP. All about the economy, Main Street and Wall Street bracing for new inflation numbers this morning. What they could mean for consumers entering the holiday season. This as the tech world reacts to a massive wave of layoffs. 11,000 workers now let go by Facebook's parent company. Why CEO Mark Zuckerberg is taking full responsibility. Lifesavers, dramatic video of police rushing into a home to help a baby with RSV who stopped breathing. Come on, sweetie. Come on. She's breathing now. She is breathing. This morning, the heroes behind that remarkable rescue and the grateful mom eager to say thank you. All that plus country's big night. The stars step out for the CMA Awards. We've got the winners and the show-stopping moments, including a special tribute that brought down the house. Today, Thursday, November 10th, 2022. From NBC News, this is Today with Savannah Guthrie and Oda Cuppy, live from Studio 1A in Rockefeller Plaza. Well, good morning. So happy that you're with us. It is a Thursday morning. What a great night for country oh. music. How about that Loretta Lynn oh, tribute? This coal miner's daughter loves yes, that rendition so of coal miner's daughter. Yeah. Beautiful. Beautiful. We're big- going to have a lot more on the CMAs coming up. Yeah, we are. But we've got two big stories mm-hmm. playing out this morning. Still, we've got the fallout from the midterms. Key races remaining too close to call. The shape of Congress, who controls Congress, still hanging in the balance. We've got complete coverage. But we are going to get started with that breaking news overnight. Nicole, making land landfall on Florida's east coast, the first hurricane to hit the United States in November in nearly 40 years. Now, it's weakened this morning, but still expected to pack a wallop, and it's working its way up the east coast over the next few days. Yeah, we're going to get to Dylan's forecast in just a moment, but first, NBC's Kerry Sanders, he joins us from Daytona Beach Shores, Florida. Kerry, good morning. Well, good morning. At first light here, they're getting an idea of how bad the damage is. More than 40,000 people without power. Tree limbs down, in some cases, roadways just cannot be driven on because of those tree limbs. Or, as you can see here, this road washed out. This is one of those rare beaches where you can go down this road, go out onto the beach, and drive your car or your pickup. But not only is the road washed out by what happened here, uh, so too the beach is underwater right now. Meantime, just a short distance from here, NASA's Artemis rocket on the pad where winds were clocked at 100 miles per hour. NASA engineers will be checking it, checking it again, and even checking it a third time because the launch is now scheduled for November 16th. 
Early this morning, Nicole roaring ashore as a hurricane, lashing Florida's already battered east coast. Waves crashing onto the boardwalk in Daytona Beach. In Vero Beach, winds blowing up transformers. Now a tropical storm, Nicole crawling its way through Florida and later will head up the east coast. Early winds and waves combined to wash away significant portions of the beach in Volusia County. Buildings left precariously close to the water's edge. There is an imminent danger of building collapse. Why? The storm surge from Hurricane Ian six weeks ago battered the sand dunes here, the last line of defense between the ocean and the coast. Absent those sand dunes, which are a natural protection, you can see the beach erosion. The seawall has already given way and it's given out. The next high tide will take out even more here. And as I take you over, see here, that building up there? Well, as you look down, you can see the erosion has already begun to undermine the foundation. Engineers say last-ditch efforts to shore up weakened areas will likely be little match for the power of the ocean, supercharged by Nicole. Look over your shoulder right now. Look at this. It's sickening. It's sickening. I'm, I'm in disbelief. Nicole Hubener owns a beach rental business. This is what it usually looks like here. Nicole is the nail in the coffin for Daytona Beach Shores. Ian came in and did all this damage. And now Nicole is just putting us away. Along more than 200 miles of the Atlantic coast, Florida emergency managers ordered mandatory evacuations and open shelters, but not everyone was willing to leave. It is late in the year. Um, we're Floridians, though. We're going to make it through it, and uh, we'll, we'll be here tomorrow. And I hope everybody stays safe. It's been a weary season for folks like that family. Uh, the authorities are not reporting any injuries, but it's still very early, guys. It is. All right. Carrie Sanders for us there. Carrie, thank you. Yeah, astonishing to see that. Yeah. And let's uh, check in with Dylan, who's in for Al this morning. She's tracking Nicole and also where the storm is headed after this. It's actually headed up into the northeast, but it's the battering waves, the three to five foot storm surge along the east coast of Florida that's causing all of that beach erosion. And even though this was more of an east coast storm when it made landfall around three o'clock this morning as a category one hurricane, only the fourth hurricane to ever make landfall in the United States in the month of November. So it is rare now we're seeing those heavier bands extend over into Tampa, up into Jacksonville. Winds have been gusting up to about 40 to 50, close to 60 miles per hour. So Florida is still in it, even though the storm is weakening. So because of that, we do still have tropical storm warnings in effect through most of central and northern uh, Florida. Now, this storm is going to perhaps make a second landfall right in that big bend of Florida here. But watch what happens as it moves northward. Remember, this is a tropical system. It's got a lot of moisture and all of that rain is going to make its way into the northeast, even back to the eastern Great Lakes, into West Virginia. Heavy torrential downpours, tropical in nature, moving up into the northeast with temperatures in the mid to upper 60s. So it has that tropical feel to it. We could end up with additionally four to six more inches of rain across Florida. That could lead to some flooding, but we're also expecting about three to five inches of rain across the interior northeast as well. We could see airport delays up and down the east coast Friday, uh, especially late Friday into early Saturday morning. And then again, we do have that potential for flooding. 
across the Northeast, too. Hoda. All right, Dylan, thank you. Let's move now to the ongoing fallout from the midterms, even as some of the votes are still being counted. And with Georgia's pivotal Senate race heading right for a runoff in December, it will likely be weeks before we know which party controls Congress. We've got it all covered. We're going to start with NBC's senior Capitol Hill correspondent, Garrett Hake. Hey, Garrett, good morning. Hey, Hoda. Good morning. Yeah, leaders in both parties are projecting confidence this morning, despite so many uncalled races still in so many states. And here on the Hill, there's a little bit of a sense of deja vu going back to 2020, that after all this, it might come down once again to a runoff in Georgia to determine who controls the U.S. Senate. On Capitol Hill this morning, the balance of power in both chambers still up for grabs, with several key races too early or too close to call. President Biden calling Tuesday's midterms a good day for democracy. But despite polling showing many voters were dissatisfied with the economy and the direction of the country, the president, when asked if he'd do anything differently, responding, Nothing, because they're just finding out what we're doing. In the Senate, counts continue in two battleground states, Arizona and Nevada where election staffers are carefully sorting through thousands of remaining ballots. While in Georgia, incumbent Senator Raphael Warnock and former football star Herschel Walker are already asking voters to turn out for them once again in a runoff next month. Asked how he's feeling after a night when Republicans did not see the decisive victories they'd hoped for, Senate GOP leader Mitch McConnell had this to say. I don't deal in feelings. Uh, the question is, they've got to count the votes. And then we'll figure out where we are. Control of the House now rests with a smattering of seats where ballots are still being processed. Democrats did have some setbacks, particularly in New York, where Republicans campaigned heavily on crime issues and picked up a number of seats, even knocking off the House Democrats' campaign chair, the first time that's happened in over 40 years. What message do you think the American people were trying to send you? I don't think the American people have given up on democracy. Even without the final tally, top House Republican Kevin McCarthy setting his sights on the speaker's gap. Leader McCarthy, do you have the votes for both the majority and the speakership? Yes. As President Biden prepares for a possible divided government for the remainder of his term. I'm prepared to work with my Republican colleagues. The American people have made clear, I think, that they expect Republicans to be prepared to work with me as well. And in that same news conference, President Biden reiterating that he does intend to seek a second term and that he doesn't feel rushed about making a final decision on that, regardless of whatever Donald Trump may do. Asked by our colleague Kristen Welker whether exit polling that shows a majority of Americans would prefer he not run again factors into his decision. The president said simply, it doesn't. Savannah. All right. Garrett Hake on the Hill for us, leading us off. Let's go into the numbers, where things stand at this hour. Steve Kornacki at the big board once again this morning. Let's start with the House, what our projection is and, you know, some of the places where this is going to this is where House control will turn. Yeah, because it is still undecided. You see, our NBC projection is Republicans will end up with 222. You need 218 for a majority. But plus or minus seven seats. So what it means is the Republicans are favored, but there is still a world where Democrats just eke out a majority. So what does the map look like here in terms of where the outstanding results are? Here's the big picture. But basically what you're looking at here is these are still Democratic seats that Republicans are targeting. So Democrats pretty much have to defend all of these. One thing that jumps out is look how many of these districts are in the state of California. Democrats just pretty much have to sweep through these. And then on the other hand, 
hand, in addition to defending all of these, if Democrats want to have a chance of holding the House, they got to go on offense. They got to win a bunch. And again, you see a whole bunch in California where the voting takes a long time. And you got what may be the closest single race in the country right now. Western Colorado, Lauren Boebert. Adam Frisch, her Democratic challenger, look at that, 64 votes separating them. Yeah, right and now. she's a well-known incumbent for a lot of reasons, so a lot of people are watching that race. Let's talk about the Senate, where that stands, and we've got some states out west, including my home state, Arizona, that it's going to take a little time. Arizona's getting a lot of attention right now, and the bottom line with that Georgia runoff looming is Arizona and Nevada. Republicans have to win one of these two to make that runoff determinative for Senate control. So, Mark Kelly in Arizona, the Democrat with a lead of 95,000 votes. He got a boost last night. Maricopa County, the biggest in the state, released about 60,000 votes. They were Kelly friendly. We're expecting another big release tonight. Basically, there's hundreds of thousands of votes left. But the big question mark is there are 275,000 votes in Maricopa County. They are ballots that were brought in by voters in person on Election Day. Are they Republican friendly? Or are they Democratic friendly? Each party has a theory that could decide it. By the way, we have a hot governor's race there, too. They'll be waiting for those ballots. So maybe we get some answers tonight yeah. in Arizona. Let's go to Nevada. And take a look here. You see the governor's race. Oh, you see. Get that out. There you go. <laughs> Take a look up here. You see the governor's race where actually the Democrat is trailing in the Senate race. The Democrat, Catherine Cortez Mesto, also trailing, but by a lesser margin. It's 15,000 votes for Adam Laxalt here. What happened yesterday was we got some votes out of Clark County, where Las Vegas is. We got some votes out of Washoe, where Reno is. There are still tens of thousands left in both of them right now. There is a path for Cortez Masto to catch Laxalt. It's very iffy for her. So I think if you're a Republican, and you're looking at Nevada and you're looking at Arizona and you know you need to win one, this is the one that's more promising for you right now. Okay, but of these two Western states, Republicans have to pick up one of them if Georgia matters at all for Senate control. Georgia is going to a runoff. We know that now. That's right, because the Democrats picked up Pennsylvania. So now the Republicans need a net gain of two seats. So if they could get Georgia in a runoff, then they could get one of these two. That would be the two that they need. Okay, Steve Kornacki, I hate to say it. We're going to be here for a few more weeks. Thank you very much. Appreciate your time. Over to you guys. All right. Thank you. Craig's with us now. we got another aspect of the election, a very interesting aspect, yeah, in fact. Good morning. Good morning to you as well. We're talking about the future of the Republican Party right now. Big Tuesday night for Florida Governor Ron DeSantis, adding more fuel to the prospect of a 2024 clash with Donald Trump. NBC's senior Washington correspondent Hallie Jackson joins us with that part of the story. Hallie, good morning. Hey, Craig, good morning to you. Listen, Governor Ron DeSantis is getting a lot of credit for how well his party did in his state these midterms. But it is another Florida man seeking the spotlight instead, former President Trump, even as he's under fire from some in his party for what they see as his major midterm missteps. With Donald Trump this morning facing a disappointing performance from the candidates he backed in key battlegrounds and criticism from some Republicans, another GOP star now putting pressure on the former president. Mr. Trump, widely expected to announce another presidential run next week, may face a challenge from Florida's popular Republican governor, Ron DeSantis, who won his race in a re-election landslide. We not only won election, we have rewritten the political map. It comes as Mr. Trump is taking heat from some in his party for backing candidates, including election deniers, seen as too extreme for voters in key battlegrounds. In an interview before the midterm results, Mr. Trump straddling the fence. 
I think if they win, I should get all the credit. And if they lose, I should not be blamed at all. But that's not how some Republicans feel. This is a time that Donald Trump is no doubt in the rearview mirror. Retiring GOP Senator Pat Toomey telling the Philadelphia Inquirer election night was a terrible night for Donald Trump and an excellent night for Governor DeSantis, with the conservative New York Post dubbing DeSantis de future on Tuesday and this morning calling the former president Trumpy Dumpty, saying he had a big fall. Mr. Trump's own advisors are urging him to hold off on a presidential announcement ahead of the all-important Georgia runoff next month. I'm advising the president to hold off until after the Georgia race. And now the former president being called out by his former vice president, Mike Pence, for Mr. Trump's actions on January 6th. Pence, in a Wall Street Journal op-ed ahead of his new book, detailing the dramatic events of that day and criticizing Mr. Trump for encouraging election denials in the lead up to the violence. Pence, like DeSantis, may have his eye on the White House in the near future, but Mr. Trump seems to be more concerned about the Florida governor, posting on his social media site, shouldn't it be said that in 2020, I got 1.1 million more votes in Florida than Ron D. got this year? Just asking. To be clear, neither leader has officially declared a White House run, but Mr. Trump has been dropping hints repeatedly. Whoever wins the GOP presidential primary would likely go up against President Biden, our Kristen Welker, asking him about a possible Trump-DeSantis showdown. Be fun watching them take on each other. And that looks like where this is headed right now. You're seeing Mr. Trump overnight trying to deflect blame that he's getting by pointing to the scoreboard, basically looking at the many candidates he endorsed who did win. A lot of them, though, in solidly red states and districts. But this whole thing is creating this conversation over the future direction of the party. One Republican donor telling me, hey, we got to get off the Trump train. Not everybody sees it that way. And that is what the party needs to figure out moving forward. Craig? A conversation that is certainly going to continue. Our senior Washington correspondent, Hallie Jackson. Hallie, thank you. 17 minutes, almost 18 minutes past the hour. Time to check in with Miss Dillon. You got a lot in the weather department uh, today. Really a lot, because not only are we talking about a tropical storm, we have blizzard warnings, we have snow, we have the chance of severe storms back through the Midwest as this cold front moves eastward. This cold front and the remnants of Nicole will actually combine to bring a lot of that rain into the Northeast. But look at what's going on across the Dakotas. We have seen wind gusts up to about 45, 50 miles per hour combined with the snow. It's reducing visibility, making it very difficult to get around up in that part of the country. And then as you get closer to this cold front, we could see some stronger storms develop, uh, especially later on this afternoon as that moves into the east, into the warm air. Kind of feels more spring-like, I'd say, than uh, winter at this point in the Midwest. And that's your latest forecast. All right, Dylan, thank you. Straight ahead, the dramatic video of police officers helping a little baby breathe again, putting a face on the nationwide RSV crisis. Maggie Vespa has that story. Hey, Maggie. Hey, Hoda, good morning. Yeah, that family's terrifying ordeal, as you saw, caught on video and coming as RSV rates surge and triple-demic fears mount. Drive-through testing beginning here today in St. Louis. We're going to talk about all of that, plus hear from those hero officers and get an update on that baby's condition from a very grateful mom. That's coming up on today. Pretty incredible story, Uh, Maggie. uh. Look forward to it. Also, layoffs spreading like wildfire in the tech world. 11,000 people at Facebook's parent company alone. What Mark Zuckerberg is saying about those firings, what they signal about the overall economy as well. But first, this is Today on NBC. Seven thirty. Now look at that. 
a real circus out on our wow. plaza. The beloved Big Apple Circus has come back to town. High wire legend Nick Walenda leading it off. And we're going to be chatting with him and are entertained by some really fun performances all morning. I mean, the two, the two of you could actually get out and join them now. I know. You're practically circus. We are. We are. We've got a lot to get to, guys, in this half hour. We're going to start with your check of our 730 headlines. We're going to start with a potential blow to Vladimir Putin's war effort in Ukraine. The Russian military announced it is withdrawing forces from Kherson, the first major city that fell after the invasion began in February. Kiev is remaining cautious, however, fearing it may be some kind of Russian trap. Also this morning, Ukrainian troops claim to have recaptured another key town about 30 miles north of Kherson. A listeria outbreak linked to deli meat and cheese has made at least 16 people sick, including one person who died. U.S. health officials say that the illnesses date back to April of last year. With the most recent report just a few weeks ago, there are cases in six states, but at least five cases were linked to a market in New York. The CDC says contaminated food likely introduced the listeria strain into delis in multiple states. There was a wild police chase in Texas. Happened yesterday in the Dallas area. Now watch this. You can see the truck. It's going the wrong way down a one-way street. Narrowly misses several vehicles. Later, the truck gets on the highway. Also going the wrong way. At one point, it spins out. The driver and the passenger switch vehicles, climbing into another truck. Eventually, the truck drove into a wooded area. It got stuck. Folks there, they, you see them, they fled on foot. Two of them were taken into custody. A third managed wow. to get away. All right. Uh, turning now to America's worsening battle with severe cases of RSV. It's overwhelming hospitals and schools. Yeah. And look at this video. This is police body cam video. It comes from Missouri and it is highlighting the concerns that so many parents are feeling. Officers were called to a home. A one month old baby suddenly stopped breathing. Well, the police were able to help her breathe again. NBC's Maggie Vespa joins us with more. She is at a a new drive-through testing site in St. Louis, Missouri. Maggie, good morning. Guys, good morning. Yeah, as you said, state officials here in Missouri and the St. Louis metro area will start offering drive-through testing at sites like this one. And it comes in light of cases like Little Kamaya's, those nightmare moments that you just saw when that baby stopped breathing. A prime example of what pediatricians and parents are seeing across the country every day. This as the threat of more viruses creating a dangerous triple-demic looms. This morning, amid America's ongoing battle with severe RSV... A baby girl in Missouri is home safe after a harrowing scare. She's, I could feel her. Turn her up and hit the back. Turn her down. Last week, body cameras rolling, Kansas City police responded to the home of Tajanae Allen. Her one-month-old, Kamaya, sick with RSV, was unresponsive. Come on, sweetie. Come on. I can hear her. For 30 agonizing seconds, officers Richard Duchesne and Charles Owen performed CPR. What goes through your mind at that moment? Um, I mean, it's definitely a scary moment. The baby was so small, it looked like a doll. Finally. She's breathing now. She is breathing. Little Kamaya regained consciousness. She'd spend nearly a week in the hospital, mom beyond grateful to the officers. That's my daughter, Hero. Those heroes, both fathers, struck by what they'd seen. You know, you hear about RSV, but when you actually see it in person, it's very scary. Nationwide, new data shows cases of severe RSV, or respiratory syncytial virus, continue to surge at unprecedented rates. Our ERs here on the West Coast are definitely seeing um, 
all-time high numbers. More than 20 states reporting 80% or more of their pediatric hospital beds are occupied. Doctors say this cold and flu season, kids are especially vulnerable. The last two years, people have haven't been affected, especially children, by RSV. And so now instead of the normal pool of children that could be susceptible to it, that pool has essentially doubled. Now fears mount about a so-called triple-demic, RSV combining with the flu and COVID, the crippling combination already wreaking havoc. In Powell County, Kentucky, administrators canceling classes after more than a quarter of students fell ill. You had to close your schools. We closed our schools for a solid week. Mounting cases, putting kids coast to coast in danger and leaving parents on edge. Let's talk about those parents for a moment, uh, Maggie. What are, what are some of the things that parents can do to protect their kids? Sure, Craig. So the doctors that we spoke to that you heard from in that piece say, first and foremost, definitely get vaccinated against COVID and get your flu shots. They say that should come first. On top of that, if you or your kids have any kind of symptoms of any sort of illness, even if you're not sure what it is, like a cough, fever, cold, that sort of thing, stay home to avoid spreading whatever you have to those around you. Also, they say the same things that we saw during the pandemic. That's still good advice. Avoiding large crowds in particular, if infection numbers are creeping up in your area. And of course plenty of hand washing. Yeah. Guys, I'll right. send it back to you. Maggie Vesper for us there in St. Louis. Maggie, thank you. Those officers. Oh, my they're God. They're incredible. Yes. How about having the, the the peace of mind to say, like, okay, sweetie, yeah. it's okay. Like, wow. And the confidence, the confidence to do that with such call. a tiny baby. They're, wow. they're incredible. Certainly helped that they were dads, too. Yeah. yeah. Wow. Definitely. Still to come, high notes and even higher mm-hmm. drama on Popstart. Carson's bringing us a new look at the highly anticipated Whitney Houston biopic. Wow. But first, Tom Costello, he's taking a closer look at the massive waves of layoffs rocking the tech world and what you should take away from that downsizing. Hey, Tom. Well, the giant on the block, Meta, the Facebook parent company, laying off 13% of the workforce. They're not alone. We're going to talk about tech companies struggling in these economic times coming up. We're back 740 in depth today and this morning, new signs of economic trouble highlighted by massive job cuts in the tech world. Yeah, the latest Facebook's parent company, Meta, and it comes as we're getting some new data on inflation just this morning. NBC's Tom Costello's in Washington. He's got this covered for us. Hey, Tom, good morning. Hi, guys. Yep. Good morning to you. Listen, the inflation data out this morning expected to show a slight improvement over September, but core inflation that excludes food and energy still thought to be running at 40 year high. The slowing economy is a very big reason why tech companies are laying off employees and now a giant Facebook parent company Meta is sending pink slips to a very big chunk of its workforce. Mark Zuckerberg's vision for a bright, colorful future filled with virtual reality may have to wait. After the CEO of Facebook parent company Meta announced big cuts, 13% of the workforce, 11,000 employees laid off. I want to say, you know, up front. Uh, that I take full responsibility for this decision. A contrite Zuckerberg appeared on video to the staff, recorded by an employee impacted by the layoffs. It was you know, one of the hardest calls that I've, I've had to make in, in, in the 18 years of running the company. As you'd expect, Meta employees took to social media. Just woke up to news that Meta has laid off 13% of employees, myself included, wrote one. 
Another said it was a dream role, dream team, dream manager, dream everything. Zuckerberg says Meta needs to become a leaner and more efficient company. He spent billions of dollars on his virtual reality vision of the future called the Metaverse. But investors complain he spent far too much on the concept. Facebook had been seen as the Silicon Valley tech darling. But Meta stock has dropped 70% this year alone. Third quarter earnings down 50%. Facebook was spending like 1980s rock stars. And now growth has really come off significantly. The metaverse strategy continues to be an uphill battle. The world has viewed Zuckerberg as something of, of a savant and a business genius, but he admits he got this wrong. This is Mark Zuckerberg saying we grew too fast. We assumed that the boom times would continue. And they, they haven't. No, this is a really tough time right now for any ad-supported platform. Meta's revenues have also been squeezed by changes to Apple's iPhone operating systems that make it harder to target ads to individuals. And advertisers have pulled back as the economy has slowed. But Meta Facebook isn't the only tech company that's laying off employees. Twitter, Salesforce, Netflix, Snap and Apple have as well. Amazon and Apple have also frozen hiring. The question now, is the metaverse on hold? So, Tom, if things continue like this, continue going south at Meta, any chance Zuckerberg may be forced out? You know, he's virtually untouchable as CEO. He founded Facebook almost 20 years ago, and he structured the company and the stock issuance in such a way that he ensures almost virtual total control. By the way, with Meta stock sliding, it's now worth less than Home Depot, and Apple is eight times more valuable than Meta. Wow. Those are some surprising numbers. All right. Tom Costello for us there in D.C. Tom, thank you. Quarter before the hour. Let's get a check of the weather. It is so busy. I mean, between the tropical storm, the chance of severe storms, and also some snow across the northern plains, we have a lot going on. So most of the heavier snow falling across North Dakota right now. And then as you move eastward, naturally, it transitions to ice before it transitions over to rain. So this is the warmer side of the cold front that's moving eastward, where we could see some stronger storms develop as we go through the day. But where it is snowing, we have winter storm warnings, ice storm warnings, even blizzard warnings, because up near Bismarck, North Dakota, we can see wind gusts up to 45, 50 miles per hour. That combined with falling snow reduces visibility, makes it very uh, dangerous to be out and about today. We also have this area in green here where we have our best chance of seeing some stronger storms, wind gusts up to 60 miles per hour. We could see some small hail and we can't really rule out a tornado either. It's this cold front. It's combining with the warm, humid air. And eventually we are going to see more moisture in as the remnants of Nicole move northward. So that's why uh, we are going to see all of this rain across the northeast. Then like like a squeegee, it kind of gets pushed out to sea as we go into Saturday afternoon. But in the meantime, for the northeast, especially Friday into early Saturday morning, we can up, end up with about three to four inches of rain. And that's your latest forecast. Dilly dilly, thank you. Coming up next, let's go country. The winners, the moments, the performances. We will take you inside last night's star-studded CMA Awards right after this. Carson, what yeah. 
a night in Nashville. It's the best award show on TV. I mean, yeah. you have even if you don't like country music that much, it's the most. They're having the most genuine fun yes. at any of these award shows. Yes. Nobody's acting too cool. Yeah. Uh, they look like one giant family that yeah. you want to be a part of. Yeah. Yeah. The Peyton Manning hosted it. Yeah. along with uh, with Luke Bryan, yeah. he was great. It's a Georgia Tennessee rival. Yeah. Um, some of the performances that was a great one. Carrie Underwood and Reba McIntyre, Miranda Lambert. They were paying tribute to Miss Loretta Lynn, who passed away back in October on the fourth. Amazing rendition of Coal Miner's Daughter. There was other great collaborations. Katy Perry sang with Thomas Rhett. It was uh. great. Uh, Luke Combs was a big winner that uh, last night. He scored Album of the Year and Entertainer of the Year. Mm-hmm. Lainey Wilson arguably had the, the biggest way, night. I love her. She was on our show. Yeah. She's like one of these people who got rejected over and over through Nashville. And as she said, like, I don't take no for an answer. Wow. Like, and, and she, she won a new artist new and artist. Best Female Entertainer is of the Year. Is that amazing? Cool. She's super cool. But Your Drunk Go Home was probably oh. the best performance of the night for me. <laughs> that was what, yeah. Kelly? That was Kelly Clarkson, yeah. Kelsey Ballerini, yeah. uh, and Carly Pierce, who's yeah. great. That was a lot of fun. I think just like the Humor, the fun, and the co- I do love these collabs. Yeah. You know, whether it's new songs or old songs like Coal Miner's Daughter, they bring together these artists. It's so interesting to hear them sing yes. together. The tributes, like yeah. the, the tribute to Jerry Lee Lewis. I mean, yes. just to have a different rendition of his song, but yeah. you know. Yeah, they like take care of, you know, Alan Jackson got a, yes. a, a prestigious award last night. So the, the country music community, like Nashville, they take care of the, a, the elder statesmen, the legends. They, um, they, yeah, they prop up the young stars. Yeah. They set things on fire. Yeah. You yeah, they're cool. Really. Yeah, there's cool. L. King doing yeah. her thing. Stapleton was, was great. Morgan Wallen. Yeah. I mean, it's crazy. Yeah. Awesome. It was that fun. was awesome. Well, we got another country music icon to talk about Dolly Parton on Popstar, right? Oh, yeah. Looking forward to that. Yeah. And also, guys, Seth Rogen, he's swinging by. He's going to talk about what nice. it was like working with Steven Spielberg on a new movie based on the director's own childhood.